Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a look back at a Q&A session from the most recent UK Investor Magazine virtual conference, which took place on the 25th of May. And it's a Q&A session between Robert Jackman, who was the moderator for the event, and the CEO of Trident Royalties, Adam Davidson. And it's a very insightful discussion around uh, commodities, commodity prices, uh, the possibility of an upcoming commodities super cycle and whether we're in one at the moment. And of course, some details around mining royalties uh, that Trident Royalties invest in. One of the main benefits of mining royalties is it provides uh, investors and the companies that, that invest in mining royalties with direct exposure to commodity prices without any of the exposure to underlying capex or the operating costs of extracting metals during the production phase. So uh, a very interesting interview. So just going to pass you over now to that Q&A session Uh, which took place on the 25th of May at the Virtual Investor Conference. Thank you very much. And with that, I will turn it over to questions. And I think I left enough time here. Yeah, you did. And as you'd expect, there's been uh, plenty coming through while you were taking us through the the presentation. So um, it's going to say two words. It depends how you style it. Uh, Commodity super cycle was obviously going to uh, come up. I think that jumped in, uh, I, I guess... Yeah, I think what what we'd be interested to know really is what is your take on the um, on the commodity super cycle? Is it something you you buy into? Um, and what you know what is what do you foresee as the specific impact on your your income and your royalties? Yeah, I think um, it's it's hard to say whether it's a super cycle or not. I, I'd be blowing smoke if I sort of gave you a firm, guaranteed answer of what I think is going to happen. What I do take a lot of comfort in is well, when you hear this level of noise, you know that the Goldman Sachs of the world saying. You know, be conscious of inflation. Um, you, you take a lot of comfort that it clearly, when they're printing sort of two trillion dollar infrastructure packages, that has two impacts for commodities. One is that infrastructure requires steel and copper and, and all these sort of mining commodities, so it, it hits demand directly. Um, but then also, you know, we can lose scope and two trillion. I mean, that the the cost of the U.S.'s 20-year involvement in Afghanistan was $2 trillion. So to, to pump that kind of money out into the market in such a short time frame and, and sort of one package after the other, um, to me, it seems like inflationary pre- pressure is sort of a foregone conclusion. So, you know, I think you see this demand impact and then you also see the, the inflationary impact and all that is leading towards a cycle, whether it will be a super cycle, no guarantees. But, um, but put it this way, I'm very happy to have a lot of my – personal net worth tied up in mining commodities because uh, I think we're heading in the right direction. Mm, excellent. Um, there's also a question here about lithium. So you mentioned and, you know, you, you sounded kind of uh, quite bullish on the future prospects of lithium. Um, one of the questions asked here, you know, what what would be the effect of any change to battery technology? So, if you know, we continue to see this shift uh, towards some of the more kind of modern um, 
you know, batteries that are out there. What would be the impact on lithium then? Yeah, that, that's one of the um, that's one of the reasons we really like lithium. Actually, is when you look across the whole spectrum of um, battery designs, lithium is a key component. In fact, it's it's about ten percent by weight and about ten percent by cost of of, of really all uh, battery chemistries. And that's where some of the other commodities you have to be very careful. So you know, cobalt, manganese. There are some that are that are very heavy one or the other. They're, they're trying to be engineered out because of the cost. Um, Whereas lithium, there's no real replacement for lithium ion, and then there's um, and it's just not a cost driver in, in terms of um, where you can reduce uh, components of batteries to save on cost. Lithium is definitely not at the top of that list. So, um, and even solid state batteries, which are sort of probably a few generations away uh, with regards to designs, uh, again, lithium is a key component. So we don't we see lithium as probably the the bedrock of these battery designs. Um, and, and and therefore, that was the key battery metal that we wanted to get exposure to in our portfolio. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, and I mean, as you know, the que uh, the question that always comes up in this sector really is about, you know, the combination of kind of technical and market expertise. So there's a question here about, you know, the team at Trident. I think you mentioned, you know, the four people working with you. What's their what's their kind of direct experience in in the mining sector in particular? Yeah, sure. I've got it up on the screen here, but but my background is mining private equity, um, you know, both here in Denver as well as down in Australia. So I've invested in, in every continent, save Antarctica, obviously, um, and across all kinds of commodities, and then a technical background uh, as well. So and prior to that was with BMO and equity research on coal and steel. Prior to that was with the work of mining, um, and my co colleagues have similar backgrounds. Tyron Reese. Um, is a metallurgist by trade and then and was in mining private equity. Julian Bochet, our, our VP of investments, again, was in mining private equity and, and uh, prior to that with the IFC, the, the, the World Bank's uh, investment arm on their mining side. Uh, and then Martin Page, our CFO, was the CFO of a, of a PE-backed uh, gold producer that was acquired uh, in a really good transaction by Resolute Mining. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a mix of technical expertise as well as obviously financial uh, specific to the mining sector Then I won't go through the board's full full resumes, but we've got, again, technical, legal, financial. Um, so I think we've been very conscious about wanting to get um, a good breadth and depth of, of experience across both the board as well as the management team. Hmm. Excellent. Okay. Um, and there's also the question, um, the question is just asked a bit more about your kind of, you mentioned some acquisition prospects over the next 12 months. Um, I, I think their, their question had come in just before you said that, but I, I, I think even so, you know, perhaps we could hear a bit more detail about some of the stuff you're, you're looking at if you're able to go into that. Yeah, sure. We're, um, uh, I suppose, uh, so I'll flip to that slide just briefly. I am limited in what I can say to a certain extent. The lawyers let me get away with putting uh, <laughs> these charts on here that are based on active NDAs, which is a bit of a wonky metric, to be fair, but hopefully gives people a flavor that um, these are the type of opportunities that are crossing our desk. And quite a few of them, you know, as of our last release, we had 11 active NDAs, um, you know, across nickel, copper, zinc, gold, silver, iron ore, mineral sands, and a couple other commodities. Um, in terms of what we're really targeting, I'd, you know, I'd say we're not getting overly obsessive about trying to have sort of 
that third, a third, a third mix between precious space and bolts and batteries. We're we're prioritizing the most accretive transactions we can find, and I think that will that will bode well in the future. And as we grow in size and scale, then then we might might start refining things. If I had a sort of if I could write the script for the next few months, I'd like to get exposure to some of those base metals that have a very heavy battery component. So I'd like more copper. Um, I'd like some nickel. Um, I see those as um, uh, just have been serially underinvested in the last 10 years. I think regardless of the whole EV thematic, I think they're well positioned um, and then throw in the, the rechargeable battery demand um, driver. And, and yeah, I think you'd be, you'd be well served having expo exposure to those commodities. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be a sort of, um, you know, looking again at the charts you've got on the screen there, it's going to develop organically. You don't have a kind of, this is where we want to be in terms of the breakdown between base metals, precious metals, etc. You know, it, it, it sounds like you very much are developing it as you go along, kind of organically assessing them on their own merits. At, the, at this stage, I mean, recall when we listed a year ago, we had one royalty. Uh, so now we have 12 and we're getting good diversification. But but yeah, we don't want to turn away good opportunities because we have to have base metals and that's got to be the next deal. You know, if the next deal that comes along is a good gold deal, we'll, we'll do it. Um, but as we grow in size and scale, um, yeah, then we will start to refine because we do want to get that that um, diversification that's reflective of, of the sector, that, that index fund-like exposure that we're targeting. That That is the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, and I guess, you know, a question that's that's going to be on a lot of people's minds, you know, you mentioned that you're starting to get more interest in the kind of bigger institutional investors. Um, are they asking questions about ESG? I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine they wouldn't be, you know, a lot of them are quite obsessed with it at the moment. So, you know, how, how are those conversations going? Yeah, no, they do ask those questions. Um, you know, and we, to, to be clear, we don't invest in thermal coal. Uh, hard to see us doing any coal. Um, you know, there are two types. There's thermal energy coal, which is kind of viewed as the dirty coal. And then there's the steel making coal, which, which you know, it's a bit of a necessity because we need it for steel. Um, so, uh, but but yeah, we, we don't do thermal coal, um, and and I think we'd be hard pressed to to do coke and coal, um, given those ESG concerns, uh, because um, yeah, it, it's it's become a real consideration for for large pools of capital. Um, so yeah. I think having exposure to things that um, uh, things like copper and lithium, uh, those are the sort of commodities that people one want exposure to because you know the demand that they see in the future, given the the change in, in sort of um, uh, but energy usage, uh, as well as as some of the requirements from an ESG perspective, so it's something that we are very conscious of, and, and sort of a, one of the, one of the items at the top of our due diligence list. Yeah, absolutely, great. Um, and I'm just looking, thinking about some of the bigger royalty royalty companies that are that are out there. You know, that do a similar thing. I mean, one of the differences you flagged up straight away is that you're less focused on 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 precious metals. Uh, but are there any kind of other, you know, are there any other advantages being kind of smaller and, and maybe perhaps more agile than those? Oh, yeah, certainly. I think um, the, the biggest thing comes in, in the return profiles. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, we're, we're very open with some of our numbers. I mentioned Thacker Pass, Upper Teens, Lake Rebecca, Upper Teens, Lower Twenties, uh, our iron ore royalty sort of similar, if not higher profile. I mean, those sorts of returns, I think our bigger peers would be quite jealous of because <laughs> it's it's hard to, to write a you know 100 or 200 million dollar royalty and get that sort of return profile. Scotia probably does the best in terms of reviewing the royalty space and looking at some of the mid tiers and majors returns. And yeah, you know, they're they're happy to get sort of single digits pre tax returns, whereas we're looking for 
uh, a portfolio that's plus 15% post tax. Um, so I think that's probably that's probably by having various commodity targets and 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 probably equally importantly is is almost the ticket size um, given the lack of competition for a 10 million dollar royalty versus a 100 million dollar royalty. Those sort of returns are on the table for us, whereas they're just they're just not really there for the bigger guys. There's much more mm. competition. Um, so that that's kind of what yeah the, the sort of that that's the end result of all these sort of strategic initiatives and how we're putting together the portfolio is is it all leads to higher returns at the end of the day. Yeah, and with the you know the, the, these smaller royalties that perhaps aren't the right size for the bigger funds to to pick up. I mean, do you see them sticking around, or do you think that the industry is going to look for? Is there are there other ways the industry can kind of package them? You know, because you you hear about this. I was having a kind of parallel discussion with an investment trust. Uh, the other day, which buys up lots of undervalued trusts, you know, and their theory was that a lot of them are undervalued just because the size they are makes them unattractive to the big investors. But, you know, I think, the again, the question that comes to mind, though, is if, you know, are the are the mining companies not going to start structuring these in a way, or perhaps they can't, but, you know, uh, do you think this is sustainable that you're going to keep picking up these smaller deals? You know, are they always going to be there on the table? Or do you think we might see, you know, is there a, a threat that, the industry changes the way they're done in a way to kind of get the bigger investors involved. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think we we have that risk. I mean, there, there's literally thousands of royalties out there, and I flipped to this slide because Cooley and Obbing is a good example. Um, just because they're smaller doesn't mean they're lower quality. So Cooley and Obbing is operated by Mineral Resources, a multi-billion-dollar ASX-listed mine operator. Um, so you know, it, it's a good good operator in a good jurisdiction. It's just not a massive royalty. You know, if this royalty was paying twenty million a year, you'd probably have more interest in it. Albeit it's iron ore, so you know, still ninety plus percent of the royalty sector wouldn't be targeting this royalty. But then throw on top of that that you know we bought it for six point six five million Aussie. So I think at the exchange rates at the time that was about four million US. That doesn't really move the needle for a three hundred or four hundred million dollar diversified royalty company. And, and it's not precious, so then everybody else is off the table. So, but you know, good operator, good jurisdiction, good commodity, um, and good return profile paid back 2.6 million just last year alone. Um, and and this royalty, to answer your question more directly, was born out of um, out of a sales process. You know, the, the owner of this asset 12 years ago sold it. They're now looking for battery metals in the Pilbara. Um, they had this legacy iron ore royalty. Um, who do you sell that to? You know, the big diversified guys aren't interested, the precious guys aren't interested, and there's only Trident. So it's non-competitive, and and you know the returns are sort of becoming self-evident as we continue to collect our quarterly revenue. But um, but yeah, no shortage of these types of assets out there. It's just um, yeah, it's really a, a matter of getting the right mix in the portfolio and, and tar targeting the best ones because as you can see from our pipeline, there's there's a lot to look at. Excellent. Well, Adam, thank you very much. And, you know, thanks for such a kind of information rich uh, presentation and for taking on those questions, you know, so, um, yeah, so, so directly. Uh, that's, that's really excellent. Um, brilliant. Well, thanks again. We will move on to our, to our second speaker. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.